0: God speaks his word to us from Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, and then verses 38 and 39. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. I'm barely on Twitter. Uh, I am on Facebook, which, although founded by a college student, is a place for people of my generation, apparently. And, uh, you know, I, I came across a prayer that was making rounds on social media, and I don't know, what does this say about me, perhaps? If you ask me to copy and paste and whatever, I I won't. I just, I don't like that. Uh, but But here's the prayer, such as it is. Uh, Dear God, please keep my family and friends safe. Um, Please watch over them always and let good health, happiness, and good fortune befall them. Amen. Nice. Nice enough, I guess. But, you know, is it biblical? As I look at Paul's prayers, this doesn't seem to be largely in the vein at all of what I see the apostle praying Uh, And I'm not saying that Paul never prays about circumstances, but where it seems that many believers, our prayers are focused on our circumstances, change my circumstances, change my circumstances, change my circumstances, about my health, about my money, about my job, about my family, whatever. That doesn't seem to at all be the tenor of what Paul prays, which instead is change my heart, change my heart. Change my heart. Uh, So let's look at God's words. We continue in Ephesians chapter 3. And after today, we'll be halfway through the book. And there will be kind of a bit of a change next week. The first half is all about doctrine. It's all filled with indicatives. It's who we are in Christ, what God has done. And the second half of the book, which we'll pick up next week, Lord willing, uh, begins to talk about what difference that makes in our lives how it changes our relationships, and what we do together in the life of the church. But here we are, Ephesians chapter 3. We'll finish it off with verses 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Verse 20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let's ask his blessing. Lord, we're here this morning to worship you. We're, we're here this morning um, because we, are, we, have, we have an interest in these things. We're eager to know you more, more love, more power. We sang about the, or listened to the choir, lead us into your worship singing of the deep love of Jesus. And we, we know it's right. We know it's true. Uh, we want to know and experience more of that in our lives um, not so that we can exalt ourselves or just so that we can feel good but so that we can walk uh, in a manner worthy of our calling in Christ so that we can walk with you our God and please you in all respects and uh, we ask that you would work in our hearts to that end now for your glory in Jesus name amen bow the knee Today we're talking about walk this way, how we walk with the Lord. Walk is mentioned eight times in the book of Ephesians. We've only attended to a couple of them thus far. And specifically today we're talking about strength from the Spirit. And if you're looking at your listening guide on the back where I provided the Scripture text for you, I tried to highlight it in bold and in green. Strength from the Spirit. We begin with bow the knee. Paul bowed his knees, right? And one day, Paul writes elsewhere in uh, Philippians chapter 2, right? One day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess what? That Jesus Christ is Lord. And that he is Lord, he is master, he is king, he is owner, he is sovereign. Sovereign. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that fact. Will you do so now voluntarily in your own heart? Or will you miss the opportunity? And will it be under compulsion one day? Bow the knee. Um, His prayer here, when he says, for this reason... He's really hearkening to earlier in the chapter, he, he uses the same phrase. Verse one, Ephesians 3:1, if, if you have a Bible near, for this reason, I, Paul, and then he goes off on this rabbit trail. It's one in Greek. it's one long sentence, the next umpteen verses. It makes me feel good because I go on rabbit trails sometimes. and he did so. It's in, it's in Scripture. It's in the power of the Holy Spirit. So maybe rabbit trails aren't such a bad thing. He goes on this rabbit trail about the gospel for the Gentiles who have now been included. You're in! You're in! They've been grafted into the body of Christ. They're part of the church. And he starts out, he's going to talk about how he prays for the Ephesians, but he gets so excited about this prospect that now there is jew and non-jew together comprising the body of Christ he goes off on that little rabbit trail or tangent for a while then he picks back up in scripture his original purpose which was to explain to them how he prays for them he bows the knee now uh, you all are seated i am standing here's a little rabbit trail it would be interesting to explore uh, posture, different postures in the Bible. You know, sometimes we talk about, or at least we used to, about uh, bow your head, close your eyes, maybe even fold your hands or on your knees. To be honest, I don't pray on my knees very often at all. Some of y'all have been to those churches, high churches, more liturgical, where they have kneelers for the congregation. Um, different postures. In the Bible, uh, in the Old Testament, the most common Uh, stance for prayer in terms of the physical body was to pray standing with arms outstretched. Uh, The scriptures also talk about um, prostrating yourself before the Lord, right? Face down, falling down in humility uh, before the Lord. It would make an interesting study, but that's a perhaps a a little bit of a rabbit trail. Speaking of uh, lying prostrate, um, I remember one lady was talking to Howard Hendricks the great um, professor of theology and disciple maker at Dallas Theological Seminary for eons and she came to him and she was talking to him about feeling guilty because you know when do you read your bible we all know we're supposed to read our bible we try to read our bible when do you read your bible you read on your lunch break you read it in the morning you know some people do that no bible no breakfast thing I can't always do that uh, some people read it in bed, and, and, you know, or before bed at night. This lady was talking to Howard Hendricks, and she said to him, "Prof, I, I feel so bad. You know, I'm reading my Bible there at night at the end of the day, and I want, you know, to to honor the Lord. And I just I keep falling asleep." And she was guilt-ridden by this. And he said to her, he allayed, assuaged her guilt. He said to her, "What better way to go to sleep?" And there's a lot of freedom, I think, that comes with that. Anyway, different, different positions different postures as we uh, read the word as we pray to God a friend of mine by the way in terms of freedom in the Lord um, a colleague of mine he's a Baptist pastor now I knew him from campus ministry way back he used to talk about the concept of what he called recreational Bible study and what he meant by that I, I felt some relief at this too is, is he had a hard time sustaining the daily quiet time Daily devotions, especially the kind that you're supposed to do in the morning for 45 minutes before you do anything else, and he was, you know, uh, in full time Christian work, so God loved him more, right? Um, and and he couldn't do that; he couldn't sustain that, and so he came up with what he called recreational Bible study. He would go to Hardy's. You can tell he's a Southerner. He would go to Hardy's like twice a week. Now, not every can the job. Uh, requirements will allow them to do this but his his did he'd go to hardy's like twice a week and spend an hour and a half or two hours in the word marinating in the word of God so he couldn't seem to sustain the daily devotion but he spent regular time with God and that nourished him so I just lay that before you if you're somebody that feels guilty uh, don't be so hard on yourself your time with the Lord is not a it's not a lucky charm It's not a vitamin pill. If I had it, it's a good day. If I didn't, it's a bad day. God can't use me. It's not like that. But we do need to spend time with the Lord in the word and in prayer. Uh, Bowing the knee is about worship, right? It's about honoring the Lord. And it's the posture of your heart more than it is your body. Whether you're standing or seated or kneeling or prostrate, whatever you're doing, it's about humility and subjecting yourself before the Lord. Why? Well, he says, for this reason. For this reason. For what reason? Well, I'm not going to detail them. Basically, everything that has come in the first three chapters of Ephesians, that you are dead in your sins and trespasses, and and God made you alive together with Christ. And and everything else that he has to say in the first three chapters. We bow the knee. I have given some reasons here, numbers 1, 2, and 3, letter A in your outline. Because we have access, because he's God, and because he's able, number two, and because he's Father. Because we have access. We saw this last time we were together in Ephesians two weeks ago at verse 12, access. Um, and it was also in chapter 2 at verse 18. When I think of access, I think of flying. I used to fly a little, fairly regularly, well more than I do now. I don't hardly get on an aircraft it seems these days, I don't know why, but things really changed with 9-11. I don't know if you can remember back that far, but I, I took a church. I was a number two guy in Alabama and I took a church in Pennsylvania. It was about 550 miles away or whatever it was. Is that right? I don't know. It was, a, it, was, it was a fur piece, as we say down south. So I had to jump on an airplane, and before 9-11, you might remember this, you got to go to the gates with your party. You got to go to the gates with your loved one. And my daughter was about three years old at that time, and she had just come through chemotherapy. And uh, her, she looked like Woodstock. Her hair, would, her, her hair had come back in in curls and everything. And when I would come through, what, what do you call that thing that hooks up to the airplane, that long tunnel thing? What do you call that? The, the jetway. Okay. So I'd, I'd, be, I'd be coming, proceeding down the jet, jetway, and my daughter would see me, and she'd come running. And that was my favorite part. I hated being away from my family. And, and as much as I enjoy being here with you guys, this is a great church. I love this church. I don't like being away from my family. But that was the highlight. I spent uh, that time six months away from my family, seeing them about monthly. And Jenna running to see me at the gate there as I emerged from the jetway, that was my favorite thing. Access. Well, that access was taken away after 9-11 and the security restrictions and stuff, right? Right. So we bow the knee, number one, because we have access. We bow the knee, number two, because he's God and because he is able. At the end of the passage in verse 20, it says he's able to do exceeding abundantly. He has plenteous power. He does beyond what we ask or think. How do we understand that? I think all too often we view God as a genie. You know, we rub the magic lamp of prayer and you know he grants us three wishes or whatever, or we treat God like a vending machine. You know we p- insert correct change and you, you you get what you order. Gimme gimme, my name's Jimmy, and that's about the extent of our prayer life. That's about as far as it goes, and we got to be careful that we don't treat God like that. Uh, it's interesting in the original language, Paul uses the word um, above, who who pair where we we kind of get our word super, but and then he puts it as a prefix on a a word a couple times later. He's saying God does above, above. More love, more power. You you just can't believe what God is able to do. And then he's father, verse 14. He's father, the family of God, and he's been making the case repeatedly that it's Jew and Gentile. It's those who grew up with the word of God and the, the covenants and the promises and the prophets and the law and all that, and those who did not, that now the, the two parties who were uh, at enmity, who had hostility, that's been killed on the cross. Jesus died to redeem for himself a people, Jew and non-Jew alike. And, and the family of God derives their name. The family of God is, is named for him. Those who are in heaven, who's in heaven? The, the the saints, the believers who have gone before us, uh, the angels, and those on earth, believers here. I'm not going to really go much further with that. It's an interesting concept, but I have one main point today, and I'll tell you when I get there. I haven't gotten there yet. Uh, a colleague of mine says this. I think it's rather pithy and excellent. Uh, he says, it's tempting to believe in a God who will change your circumstances if you just pray hard enough. But it's better to believe in a God who will never leave you nor forsake you even if your circumstances don't change. I'm going to say that again, my friend Brian. It, it's tempting to believe in a God who will change your circumstances if you just pray, pray hard enough. And that's the problem with the, the health and wealth people, right? The, the prosperity gospel is they say, if you just believe, if you just have enough faith, and so when you don't receive an answer to prayer, it's your fault. It's because you, didn't, you weren't sincere enough, you didn't pray hard enough, you didn't believe enough. And I think that's why a lot of folks that, that even come to church regularly, they know we should read the Bible, but kind of get overwhelmed, or you feel guilty because you don't seem to do it every day, like you, you've heard you're supposed to. And you you hang in there, you you come on Sundays, see your friends, worship the Lord, but your personal prayer life didn't extend very far because you don't see answers to prayer. And you figure there's something wrong either with you or with God. I mean, those are the two alternatives, isn't it? Either you didn't pray sincerely enough, hard enough, or maybe God isn't good. Or maybe God isn't all-powerful. Well, the scripture here says that he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we can ask or think. So the problem certainly isn't with him. And sometimes we conclude, well, it must be me. So I'll I'll hang in there, and I'll say amen when, you know, an elder prays or something like that, but I'm not really going to do that much with my prayer life. And I would encourage you. To hang in there and believe instead in a God, as Brian says, who never leaves you nor forsakes you, even if your circumstances don't change. So are you part of the father's family? Do you know that you've been adopted into the family of God? Not too many weeks ago, we talked about the gospel according to a beagle, so I won't repeat it. About my old hound dog and lessons learned. That, you know, what we need in life is not to be set loose and left to our own devices, We need to be brought into the father's family where there is protection and provision and more. All right, Uh, so some of our takeaways this morning, we're using this rubric, uh, head, heart, hand. And again, I think that's kind of a, a little bit more holistic approach to understanding people. When the Bible talks about heart, it's talking about your emotional makeup, um, but the heart is more than just the, your emotions or the seat of the emotions. It's your, your mind, your will, your, your intellect as well. And that informs and affects what you do. So head, heart, hand, to know, to be, to do. Uh, head, to know. We need to be able to comprehend the surpassing depths of the 3D fully orbed love of Christ. 3D, maybe 4D. Breadth, length. Height and depth, it's at least 3D, if not 4D, right? By the way, about bowing the knee, Sinclair Ferguson says it is to lower oneself before him in admiration and awe. Lower oneself before him in admiration and awe. That's what it means to bow the knee. That's what it means to worship God. And what we need to do is we need to comprehend the surpassing depths. We talked about the um, sort of the super ball effect of God's love for us. There's, there's a lot of stuff you could do with the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. But I'm not going to mess with that all, all that much. To comprehend with all the saints... And we've made this point repeatedly, but it bears repeating, that saints are those who are in Christ, those who have union with Christ. Every Christian, every believer, you may not feel like a saint, but if you know the Lord Jesus, according to the Bible, you are a saint. And so to comprehend with all the saints, this isn't just on your own. That's why we offer Sunday school. That's why there's the Men's Connect uh, first and third Saturday mornings, at 8 a.m. that's why there's two iterations of women's bible study Thursday morning and Thursday evening that's why there are there are home fellowships and such because we do theology and we live it out not in isolation not in our there's lots of silos and stuff around here not in your own silo but in community with other believers in Christ, with all the saints. There's no rugged individualism in the Christian faith. Hey, even the Lone Ranger had, had Tonto, right? Um, no Lone Ranger Christians here. But with all the saints, we begin to understand this, to comprehend it. It's an, it's an in, intensified form of to aggressively lay hold of, to aggressively take it, to grasp it, to apprehend it. We begin to understand this transcendent truth about knowledge of God. Last time we were together, we talked about knowing God truly through Christ, but not comprehensively. Certainly, you can't know everything about God, but you can genuinely know him through Jesus Christ as one and only son. It's kind of funny. uh, uh, Let me drop a couple of names and see your reaction. When we talk about knowing God, sometimes people think that that sounds kind of cocky. Or that sounds kind of arrogant. You know, you might have a family member at home today and they're a little bit miffed at you or at me or at your friends here or something. They won't come because you all think you know God and I don't or, you know, something like that. But if I I name drop a little bit, uh, you know, I was talking to Brian Brooks the other day. I was talking to Brian and you might think, oh, that's nice. You know, he has a relationship. He's friends with Brian. But you're not real impressed. No offense, brother, but uh, uh, you're not real impressed because, you know, you know him too. But, but what if I were to say to you, at least some of you might recognize the name Tim Keller. You know, um, I was talking with Tim the other day, and he, he was telling me about his latest book. And you might go, oh, wow, Pastor Tom knows Tim Keller. I don't know Tim Keller. I met him once. I talked with him once. Memorable for me? Don't think it was probably very memorable for him. about you know who else has prestige in your mind about uh, Aaron Rodgers so so Aaron and I were having dinner the other day and you know he was saying Tom what do I do the pack or you know explore free agency what do I do you know and you go oh wow you know he you knows him and so you know it, it kind of progressively increases your respect for me to my association but when we say I know God I know God through Jesus Christ. I have a personal relationship. I have intimate fellowship. I read his word. I talk with him. He abides with me. He dwells in me. I know the God of the universe who, who created everything, who made, made heaven and earth, and he's my redeemer, and in Christ he's come near to me, and he's my friend. And sometimes people think, man, you're weird, you know, or you're cocky. Or, you, know, you think you know God and I don't. I don't know why that is. We need to comprehend the surpassing depths of this 3 or 4-D fully orbed love of Christ. Um, Ferguson, again, says it's contemplating the depths to which the Son of God stooped and the height to which he has been exalted. So let that, let's have that serve in the short run for the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth head that was to note heart to be we can be strengthened with power here's my main point all right I don't know how else I'm not very subtle sometimes here's my main point we can be strengthened with power that's the subtitle for today's message is strength from the spirit as I said earlier so many of our prayers tend to be about our outward circumstances and Paul's prayers tend to be he's in jail when he writes this, my prayers would be, I need a blanket, my back hurts, can you guys pray for me I can get out of, out of here? You know, that, that's what my prayers would be about. That's, what not, that's not at all what Paul prays. He talks about knowing the Lord and having strength in the inner person. His prayers aren't, give me, give me, my name is Jimmy, change my circumstance, change my circumstance. I mean, he does, in Philippians 1, he asks them, um, also a prison epistle. He asks them to to pray for his deliverance, but he talks about how the gospel is going forth through the whole royal guard in the meantime. He's not worried about his circumstances. We can be strengthened with power. We can be endued, invigorated, fortified with power in our inner being so that if your circumstances don't change, you can show endurance and perseverance in the midst of them. That's the important thing. We prevail because of a power not our own. We're more than conquerors in Christ because he has overcome the world. There's power, verse 16, miraculous might. Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. It's resurrection power at work within us in our inner person. I'm going to mention just a a few people I know who I admire because of their tenacious Christian faith. Now, it's ultimately the grace of God in their lives. It's ultimately about the goodness and greatness of their God. But I see resilience in their faith. Um, My friend, I want to use a different name. I'm going to call him Brant. My friend Brant, his wife... His wife tried to take her life six years ago. And uh, she's okay now, but ever since the relationship has changed and forgive my being indelicate, but she's kind of like a inconsiderate roommate to him. That's kind of what the relationship is like. And I talk with him at length on the phone. Sometimes he works 70 hours a week And then he has a farm to provide uh, for his family. And, you know, I ask him about his relationship. I ask him about his wife. I ask him about his sex life, which is non existent. I ask him about his intimacy with the Lord and, and his view towards his wife, the wife of his youth, who is the same person, but she's not. And he says, I'm not going anywhere. How do you have strength to live in that kind of relationship? How about my friend John? Uh, 19 years ago, John was bitten by satanus hibernalis. It's a rare spider. Uh, likes dark places in the woods in the southeast. And John, I mentioned him a few weeks ago in passing, um, He's the guy that said about his wedding we were going to, and I wasn't sure if me and the other guys were included. He said, you're in, you're in. John was this fun, zesty. Well, he still is. He's a missionary kid raised in Kenya. He was kind of like a Christian. Uh, what was that dude named, Steve Irwin? Uh, crocodile Hunter. Crocodile Hunter? He was kind of like that. They used to raise those googly-eyed lizards and stuff with his kids, and they'd camp and sit off rockets, and he was just the, the fun dad. And, and, and then he got bitten by this weird spider, and he lives with constant pain, constant pain. Uh, where he, sp- he has spent, he's been out of it for a little while, he's trying to get back into the hot tub. He has so much pain racking his body every day of his life that he sleeps in a hot tub at night, supported by pool noodles. Can you imagine that? And yet his Christian faith is so strong. Or Doug, the pastor that I followed at church in western North Carolina, who I think I've mentioned him before so I won't go very far with it, but he got Lou Gehrig's disease, um, ALS, and I watched Doug's body shut down. First his, his hands, then his neck started drooping. And then the loss of mobility, and then the loss, he was going to lose the ability to, uh, well, he did lose the ability to swallow, um, and kind of to speak, sort of. But anyway, people that I marvel at their faith. My daughter, Jenna. Pray for my daughter, Jenna. Um, Some of you all met her. She's 24. She's had 14 eye surgeries, very delicate ones, under anesthesia in the last seven years. She's got to have at least three more. The cornea transplant she had last September, there's problems with it. She needs a stem cell transplant next month and then another, uh, repeat the cornea transplant. Then we get to attend to the other eye. And when I look at these people, I, I could go on and on and I bet you could too. And I bet there's some people in this congregation that I don't know your story well yet enough to know the endurance and the resolve and the resiliency that you've shown in Christ to persevere amidst crushing circumstances. Where does that come from? That doesn't come from prayers of just change my circumstances, Lord, change it, change it. It it, it comes from strength in the inner being, from strength in the inner person, a strength that is not your own, that is derived from someone else. It's resurrection power and the Holy Spirit of Christ who dwells in you by faith. And that's the kind of power that's available to us in the Christian life. This isn't pie in the sky. This isn't fluff. This is real and true. And it's for you and it's for me to continue in the faith. As we are rooted and grounded in love, we can be strengthened with power. Second bullet point under heart to be so that you'll be rooted and grounded in love. Verse 17, rooted, planted, anchored, firmly established stable, with a good foundation. The parable of the soils, I'd love to go further with this. You know, you can find it in Mark 4, Luke 8. There's your homework. There's your application point. Read, read the parable of the soils. Um, there's one of them that springs up, but it has no root. In the time of testing or tribulation or persecution, they fall away. Um, that's not teaching that they lost their salvation. There's only one of the soils that bears fruit, that lasts and remains. And there's only one that I believe then corresponds to being a Christian. The others give the appearance of being a believer, but they're not. I'd urge you to read the parable of the soils. Mark 4, Luke 8. Be rooted and grounded in love. Be filled to all the fullness of God. That's part of Paul's prayer for them. Be filled to all the fullness of God. What does that mean? Let me just read you what Pastor Kent Hughes says about it to illustrate filled with fullness. Several years ago, my wife and I stood on the shore of the vast Pacific Ocean, two finite dots alongside a seemingly infinite expanse. And as we stood there, we reflected that if I were to take a pint jar and allow the ocean to rush into it, in an instant, my little jar would be filled with the fullness of the Pacific. But of course, I could never put the fullness of the Pacific Ocean into my jar because Christ is infinite. He can hold all the fullness of deity. But whenever one of us finite creatures dips the tiny vessel of our life into him, we instantly become full of his fullness. And I would add to that we do not diminish or detract or take away in any respect from his fullness. We can be filled to all the fullness of God. In a couple of weeks in Ephesians, we'll talk about the filling of God's Holy Spirit. Hand, what do we do? Uh, We praise God and give him glory. We praise God and give him glory, verse 21. This is a doxological benediction, verses twenty and 21 here doxology we just we sing it right doxology is about the doxa it's about the glory of god the old testament word was kabod it means weightiness heaviness we might talk about a, a, a person of import their, their gravitas their presence um, being a heavy hitter or something like that the shekinah cloud of god's glory we praise God, and we give him glory, we give him credit, we give him honor, we honor him for his magnificent excellence, for his preeminence. And then a practical point there at the very end. Um, so what else do you do? Well, pray with your eyes open. That's a book by Richard Pratt, by the way. Pray with your eyes open. What he means by that is pray with this book open. Again, I think the reason that some people give up in their prayer life is, you know, their prayer life is exhausted after 30 seconds or five minutes tops. You know, I pray for my aunt, I pray for my uncle, I pray for my neighbor, pray for a little boy down the lane, you know, boom, I'm done. Pray with your eyes open instead of your eyes shut. Pray with the Bible before you. Pray Ephesians 1, that prayer that we looked at a few weeks ago. Pray this prayer, Ephesians 3, for this church. Pray for the, the pastor that you are on the verge of calling. Pastor Nick, pray for your, your session. We, we don't want this church. You know, one, thing I've, one of the things I think is great about this church is it's not a pastor-centered church. I hope it's a Christ-centered church. And I believe that it is, but it's led by a plurality of lay leaders, your elders. Pray Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3 for them. Pray it for yourself. Pray with your eyes open, your Bible open before you. We're halfway through um, the book of Ephesians now. Uh, Let's pray. Let's pray for power. We'll pray the Lord's Prayer. uh, And let's be more concerned about God changing our hearts than our circumstances as we pray. Lord, that uh, prayer that I started with at the outset, uh, you, know, you know that we are naturally concerned, and it's okay that we're, we want safety for our loved ones, but we ask also that you'd give us boldness, Holy Spirit boldness to speak a word for Christ. And while we are concerned for our own and, and our loved ones, their health and their happiness, we ask that you would please empower them to trust you no matter what, even as we await your healing and provision. There's a, a, a Christian counselor, David Powlison, he says, most prayer requests asks for, ask for God to give external blessings, but biblical prayer deals with how God meets us, comforts us, and changes us. Lord, come and meet with your people. Strengthen us in the inner person. Help us not to depend on our own strength, to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, uh, but to be strong in the strength of your might. Amen.